0: So you've got three important things to do today. Subscribe, rate and review Desert Island Dishes. (laughs) I know I'm always banging on about it, but genuinely reading your lovely comments and getting the feedback that I'm getting just makes my day and just makes doing this such a joy. Today's episode is with the wonderful Bettina and we talk everything from creative chill, (laughs) what it's really like working in a restaurant and I think we had very similar experiences although I did actually have a saucepan thrown at my head. Um, I love Bettina's attitude to food, it's relaxed and encouraging but not at all preachy and ultimately her food looks and tastes great and just really makes eating more fruit and vegetables seem like a very manageable thing. So I hope you enjoy, and I will see you on the other side. My guest today is Bettina Campolucci-Bordi. Bettina is a qualified vegan raw chef, having trained at the Matthew Kenny Culinary Institute over in Los Angeles. She was born with a passion for food, and cooking, she says, has remained a constant pleasure in her life. Brought up by a Norwegian father and a Danish Bulgarian mother, Bettina's food is inspired by the countries she's lived in. She's worked in the catering industry for over a decade, has a wildly popular blog filled with fast, fresh, simple vegan recipes, has amassed an army of followers, and she's just released her very first cookbook, Happy Food. Ultimately, Bettina's philosophy on food is simple. She believes that food is meant to make you happy. Welcome, Bettina. <laughs> Thank you so much. No, what a wonderful philosophy to have about food. And really, it should never be more complicated than that, should it?
1: No, not at all. I think that I love, I love ingredients and ingredients to cook with have always made me happy.
0: So it's all about, it's about good quality stuff. Definitely. And I think sometimes the joy of food gets lost because it's obviously serves a purpose in sustaining us. But I think sometimes people forget that it is meant to be joyful and, you know.
1: Definitely. And it it evokes lots of emotion and the act of cooking is quite, it's got lots of emotion in it. It's an act of love. If you're cooking for someone or if you're cooking for yourself, it's an act of self-love. And going through the motions of choosing your ingredients carefully. and I'm really passionate about Sourcing organic and seasonally, if possible, and supporting small and local farmers and farmers' markets and all of that kind of stuff makes me super happy.
0: Definitely, I think there's something in that because if you've ever tried baking when you feel a bit sad, it just never works, does it?
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or it works and it makes you really happy. Yeah, that's so true. <laughs> like therapy, but a different different type of therapy. Yeah. But yeah, I agree with the whole. Uh, it, it's never good to cook if you're in a bad place or an, an, yeah, an angry chef. There's yes. a saying, I can't remember what the saying is, but there is a saying with something about an angry chef. There's something in that.
0: Yeah, there's sure. something yeah. in that. <laughs> you describe food as being your canvas, which I really love. Does that mean that you've always been a very creative person?
1: So yeah, I wanted to be an artist when I was younger. So I've got lots of weird and wonderful paintings <laughs> hanging in my, uh, in my mum's house.
0: Oh, so, a very went, loving mum. Yeah, so I went <laughs>
1: through a whole stage of doing lots of painting and I actually wanted to um, go to art school, but uh, was told that that wasn't a very good option. Oh, really? Because uh, obviously, yeah, my parents didn't think that that was an option of sort of making money or a okay. good future.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I opted for my second passion, which was food. Yeah, and you've managed to sort of combine the two, which is... Yes, which is really cool. Yeah, really cool. Okay, that seems a good time to talk about the first Desert Island dish. And that's the dish that most reminds you of your childhood.
1: So I started off as quite a picky child, and I used to eat a lot of the same things over and over again. Okay. So one of those dishes was mashed potatoes. Yes, uh, like that's a good one to pick. I was a big potato fan. <laughs> Chips is another one. Yeah. Baked potatoes. Yeah,
0: we're seeing a theme here.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so I think potatoes remind me, and obviously I had a Norwegian dad and potatoes are like second to none. It's like a staple food.
0: Yeah. Is there a special Norwegian way of doing mashed potatoes or is that sort of no, a universal?
1: like a very sort of Scandinavian thing is to have those first summery new potatoes that spring up yeah and basically you just boil those uh and then you yeah they usually have them with butter and a little bit of salt and some dill
0: yum I thought you were gonna say um one of the recipes that's in your book which looks lovely and it's your mum's comforting bean soup and you talk about how your grandmother was a wonderful cook and she taught your mum to cook are you now teaching your daughter to cook those same recipes
1: Yeah, probably not as complicated. My daughter is five, so we started started doing pancakes. She loves doing pancakes. And she does cooking at school every day.
0: And you spoke about your Norwegian father, and you have a Danish-Bulgarian mother, which just sounds like the most amazing combination. Does that mean you can speak... A million languages?
1: Uh, yes, I speak all of them. Really? <laughs> you, um, learn, you have to learn while you're young because I've lived in Spain for 12 years and still don't speak Spanish. Oh really? So. Oh my goodness, So we
0: can take comfort in that. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> a very thin silver lining there. <laughs> um, and your English is just beyond perfect, which is infuriating. But where was it that you actually grew up? Where did you live? So I grew up in Tanzania, Dar
1: es Salaam, which is East Africa for my first 11 years wow and then I moved to Sweden when I was 11 and so yeah I grew up there for the next 10 years and then I've sort of moved around since yeah then. and now you're in London and now I'm in London <laughs> I love it here
0: yeah? yes yay well we love having you here the second desert island dish is the first dish that you learned to cook
1: pancakes was the first dish I ever learned how to cook, and I used to do that for friends that came over for sleepovers.
0: Really? Yeah. Oh my god! A lot of people must have been queuing up to come to the sleepover. Well, <laughs> what, what kind of pancakes were they? I feel like it's every country has a different yeah. These style.
1: pancakes were sort of you know the thin ones, yeah. and then you would sort of sprinkle sugar on them, which is probably not a good idea now. But uh, we, <laughs> or uh, a Swedish way of doing them is spreading jam, and then you roll them up. Ooh. And then you
0: cut them into little pieces and then you gobble them up. Oh, yum. <laughs> that sounds great. And that's now something that you're doing with your daughter, isn't it? Mm, we do the American style pancakes. Oh, right. And we put peanut butter and jam on. Ooh, yum. Why have you opted for the American style?
1: Uh, easier. <laughs> <laughs> do you think they are? Yeah, they're so much easier. That's interesting. And they can do different sizes. So she does mini ones, yeah, bigger true. ones. If you... Can't be bothered time wise. You can do a big one and then chop that up into small pieces. That
0: is a it's top all about practicality. Tip. Yeah. <laughs> You've worked in catering for over 10 years now and spent a lot of time working in restaurants. How did you find restaurant life?
1: Really stressful. So I've worked in restaurants since I was longer, actually, since I was 15. Okay. Yeah. It's really stressful, long hours. It's quite adrenaline y. Yeah. 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 Which is fine if you're into that. Yep. but i sort of got burnt out so i it's don't do to, that as i don't do catering as much
0: anymore it's hard to sustain that isn't it i can definitely relate to that i used to get home at the end of an 11 hour long shift and then go to the bathroom and that would be the first time that i'd sat down yeah. all day and then because i was really young i'd finish at 11 and then I would go on a night out and then I'd get oh, up gosh. in the morning. Totally. I mean, now I'm such a Five granny. Five nights then, a week. Yeah, there is just no yeah. way I could do that, that <laughs> It's exhausting. Yeah. But so apart from the sort of lifestyle of it, did you enjoy the, I don't know, like the practicalities of working in a restaurant? Do you thrive off a stressful environment like that? or?
1: I would say I used to thrive off it all the time and now I like stints of them okay sort of stints of adrenaline rushes it's fine in between sort of creative chill
0: yeah yeah creative chill yeah good. creative chill is good <laughs> did you ever have any horror stories of chefs throwing frying pans at you or
1: no but I have worked with a lot of difficult people oh really yes especially chefs but Quite that's good fine training. yeah it's good training it's a good pe- it's good People skills, yeah. So, with lo- when you have lots of difficult clients and sort of wiggle, wiggling your way around how to please people that are quite difficult to please, is it's
0: good. Do you think chefs being in inverted commas difficult people is a persona that they put on because it's expected of them, or do you think it's sort of inherent to the kind of person that becomes a chef?
1: I think it's they are in a very difficult environment with a lot of pressure. I could say that I'm, you could say that I'm a chef, although I don't work in that type of environment. Yeah. And when you're surrounded by lots of people, you obviously want things to be done a certain way. Yeah. And if people don't do that, I suppose some (laughs) chefs develop a personality.
0: (laughs) A very which is not aspect. very nice <laughs> to
1: <laughs> get their points across yeah but not not everyone is like that no but I, to, I could I could see that happening especially if you're in a high-end restaurant and you're sort of reliant on good reviews and things have to consistently be consistent yeah in terms of quality and stuff like that so yeah I could I, I totally get
0: it yeah it's sort of funny in a way that some you know food is joyful and it's not life or death but it It's so stressful and it's kind of hard to explain that to someone who hasn't been in that environment. But I think like shows like MasterChef where you get a little snippet of it, I think people can see that it's so stressful. For sure. So a pivotal moment came for you when you got your diagnosis. Can you tell us a bit about that? So I was
1: in the food and beverage industry and I decided to get off my pills Uh, what are they called? Like birth control. Yeah. Which I'd been taking for about 10 years and my body just went into complete meltdown. So I didn't get my period for long periods of time. I had weird and wonderful hair growth because you get that when your hormones are completely imbalanced. I started losing hair. I just had ended up having lots of issues, but the biggest thing was not getting my period for months on end. So I went to um, a doctor who diagnosed me with polycystic ovary syndrome and endometriosis. Okay. And that was a bit of a shock. I was, I think I was 26. At that age or even now, you kind of think that everything is solvable. Yeah. And it's going to be fine. But yeah, at the time, I think a lot of more people are talking about PCOS now. Yeah. But when I was diagnosed, it was kind of, it was not really talked about. And my choices were to go back on the pill or go on medication to sort of sort out my hormone levels. So I hit a really big wall then health-wise. Yeah. Yeah. Those aren't great options, are they? No. No. And I was feeling rubbish. And you sort of, yeah, you have weird cravings. Your hormones and insulin levels are all over the place. It's not not nice because it's quite a
0: physical reaction as well. And you just don't really know what to do. Yeah. A horrible feeling. And so... You decided to just completely overhaul your diet.
1: I did. And I also sort of a banana sled into co-founding health retreats. Okay. So I was working. Banana. but Yeah, I was like, <laughs> uh, I was working at a health retreat that was focusing on juicing mm-hmm. and sort of went through the their the whole opening process for the first, I guess, seven to nine months that they were open. But then ended up working 14 hour days, was in a very unhealthy place, and then co-founded Health Retreats at the same time as I got my diagnosis, which was very timely. Yeah,
0: serendipitous.
1: Um, And decided that I was going to do the cooking at the retreats, which was, we chose to do vegan cooking and gluten-free cooking.
0: But at that time, you were still just... Eating everything. I
1: was still eating everything, but I had started sort of looking into diet-wise what you could do yeah. for PCOS. And yeah, it took a lifestyle change in terms of like completely removing stress, which was my 14-hour day yeah. work shifts. So I think a lot of things combined
0: made a difference. Definitely. And and then you ended up getting pregnant. I ended up getting pregnant seven months later, which is so I mean, exciting. Yeah, And obviously you've already touched on the fact... And, but we need to caveat that you're not saying it was just the food, as you no, say. Like it's not it just the, the food. it was the whole lifestyle change. Yeah,
1: it was it? a big, big lifestyle change. I stopped doing lots of things that I—I I was a heavy smoker, so I used to smoke quite a lot, cigarettes and all sorts. And party—I was 26.
0: Yeah, so uh, the normal things that young yeah, people do.
1: Exactly. So yeah, I—I I took a complete lifestyle change. But there's lots of things I think that sort of made it happen definitely
0: and your premise with the eating is i mean it just makes sense that lots more fruit and vegetables is only a good thing
1: i totally believe in sort of being inclusive so rather than saying what you can't eat i'd rather be inclusive and sort of include lots of things that you normally wouldn't eat uh from from the plant world and the good thing with the whole running of the retreats and cooking at them was that we were sort of very budget conscious And because we were running them in southern Spain, you could go to a fruit and veg market and I would sort of source and buy what was in season because that was the cheapest. Still very good quality. Um, So a lot of the cooking was done from scratch, as in I didn't use powders. I didn't use sort of replacements for meat and dairy. I sort of made everything from scratch.
0: Oh, such a nice way of cooking.
1: Yeah, so sort of made the vegetables, the centre. Take center stage. So it was very sort of back to basics, really, and sort of peeling off the layers of, of cooking and just
0: starting from scratch. Definitely. I know this is the question that you've been dreading. It's the third desert island dish, and it's the best dish you've ever eaten. Eek. <laughs> um,
1: yeah, we were talking about this earlier. I don't know. I think I'm sort of very in the moment. So I always remember things that I've eaten recently. I can't think of anything that's blown me away that's one thing. There's lots of different things that blow me away in different yeah.
0: categories. Okay. You can tell us a few of them. I mean, it, I've been watching your Instagram stories and it looked like you had a pretty good meal yesterday.
1: Yes, I had a really good meal yesterday by a chef called Chantel that has recently written a book called Planted. It was very, very good. Yeah. And then I had another meal at Jamie's 15 the day
0: before. A vegan meal.
1: It was, yeah. So it's a National Vegetarian Week. So everybody's celebrating that. So that meal was cooked by Robin Holmgren. Oh, yeah. That meal was amazing as what well. What was it? Both of the meals actually had cauliflower. Oh, right. So that was really nice, both of them. So yeah, very spoilt this week. It's yeah. like vegetari- National Vegetarian Week everywhere, so... Very, very good. So I, I'd say those two meals most recently. Yeah, me I mean, away. it's very
0: hard to think in your whole life. But so I think drawing on recent experience is yeah, a good way to go with totally. that. So interestingly, if you type in the word blogger who to Google, yes. which I did earlier today, it immediately suggests blogger who lied about cancer. And it takes you to the Bell Gibson example. Yes, and For anyone who doesn't know, Bell Gibson was the Australian blogger who made a small fortune by falsely claiming that she'd cured herself of cancer. Now, the whole thing was extraordinary because she had books with Penguin and was a really well-known name in the industry. And yet she was encouraging people to give up their chemo treatments in favor of a wholesome diet. And it had terrible consequences. Obviously, Belle and what she did has nothing to do with you and is a completely different message to what you're doing. But I just thought it'd be interesting to see what your take on it was because you've had personal experience of changing your lifestyle and changing the way you eat and sort of seeing the benefits from it. And I just wondered, what were you thinking when that was all unfolding?
1: I think you've got to be really careful when you've got an audience and when you've got a voice and how you use it I've been very very conscious about not having any claims yeah I very very rarely talk about my PCOS and endometriosis yeah unless you go into my blog and you sort of read the about me page that's when you'll find out I don't go on about it on my in my captions on Instagram or social media at all I have also been running health retreats for the past 7 years and have clients who have very serious illnesses, such as cancer, pre or after, and people that suffer from depression, from eating disorders and all sorts of things. And I know that a lot of young people follow me and I'm very conscious about what I write. So I never put any health claims to any of my recipes Yeah, other than it's tasty, yeah. and I think that they are going to sort of make you happy in the sense of sort of joy, definitely. Bring you joy. But I do a turmeric porridge. I don't give you the science, scientific specification of why turmeric is good for you, yeah. and you know that it's going to, you know, no you no weight unicorn. loss claims, no detox claims. When you come to a retreat, it's not about weight loss at all. So food is served in abundance. We don't take measurements. There's always desserts. There's no specific portion sizes. It's just showing you the joy of food and sort of not having any emotional attachments to it as in claims yeah, or labels or things like where you put nutritional value on your dishes. I don't do any of that yeah. at all. You've just got to be really careful because people can take that to heart and what especially things can be very... Weirdly translated. So, something that you write can be taken as something completely different from a reader, and you don't know what they're going to take from that. So, I don't claim anything with my recipes, and I try not to. And there's no promises attached to them either, other than I hope you really like this recipe. Yeah. It happens to be vegan, aka plant based and gluten free, and I use alternative sweeteners. So, I try not to use the phrase refined sugar-free because even if you eat a date, that's still sugar. Yeah. I even know. if you eat, you know, been so much I use, yeah, use maple food. syrup and I use coconut sugar and more for flavor yeah. rather than the nutritional values. It's still sugar. Yeah. You know, when you eat it, your body's going to recognize that as a sugar.
0: Yeah. I think there's still a lot of misconception around sugars in particular. Yes. But I do feel like... Your whole approach and looking on your website and following you on Instagram, you are really responsible. And it, the love of food is the main message that, yeah, totally. And
1: ingredients. And I think, um, if we talk about things that you know, superfoods and powders and tinctures and all of these things that are sort of you know, it's a billion dollar industry. Yeah. I try and not use so many of those kind of ingredients. And, you know, we're
0: talking carrots and potatoes and yeah. those forgotten little vegetables yeah, that know. don't to take centre stage. The unsung so. heroes of exactly. the vegetable world. <laughs> I guess we're living in an interesting time in politics and business and food where fake news and seemingly sort of saying a statement instantly makes it true. And it, it's just interesting. Let's move on to lighter affairs. The fourth Desert Island dish is what is your favourite sandwich?
1: That has to be the avocado sandwich, hasn't it? Yes. I think my favorite way of eating it, that's actually, it's a recipe in the book. Yeah, you have it with a
0: delicious tomato. Yes. So
1: you take a piece of toasted bread, you rub some garlic on it, and then you do this tomato thing, which is a very Spanish. It's a typical Spanish breakfast. You have to get good tomatoes, though. Make sure that you do. You put the tomato thing on top. And Wait, you, talk us through
0: the tomato thing. Oh, the what tomato are you doing?
1: thing is so basically, you chop up some tomatoes and then you whiz them. Yeah, I add a little bit of apple cider vinegar, salt, pepper, and a tiny bit of maple syrup to sort of cut through Yum. the yeah. acidity. And you can keep that in the fridge for a few days, and you can <sighs> use it as a topping. So, or like a little
0: um, tomato compote.
1: Yeah, or like a tomato. It's like a. It's like a tomato sort of paste, okay. but fresh. Yum it's like then then you have
0: that with the avocado Uh, yeah and then you slice
1: some avocado on top and then you can put my recent obsession is gomasio which is a it's a sesame seed salt so it's toasted sesame seeds with salt and then you whiz it and it becomes this it's almost like a parmesan yeah it's not a parmesan but it's it's got
0: the salt and the nuttiness yeah it's really good wow that sounds delicious do you make that yourself you can do, <laughs> or
1: you can. I am yet
0: to, but you can. <laughs> we probably need to talk a little bit about your love of avocados. So you love avocados like a lot, don't I you? I do, but <laughs> I
1: also know that you've got to source them sustainably. Yeah, and I have uh, just moved to London as of the first of January. Oh, I
0: see. You're really recent. So to I'm London. really recent,
1: <gasps> but I've been coming here for work for the past three years. So okay at least once a month for the past three years so it's been a lot of
0: traveling so yeah you're no stranger
1: but in Spain I lived there for 12 years they're sort of falling off the trees so I used to keep get given these bags of avocados okay. from people that had you know avocado trees yeah. living around so that that's like some where kind the of obsession came from <laughs> and I sort of had to add them into everything I ate to
0: eat Bags of them, basically. I see. Okay, so what are you doing now that you're in London?
1: So I've got this thing which is Avo Monday. Yes. Hashtag Avo Monday.
0: Yeah, and you you have your own Instagram yes, account. Yes, and I've Set got an Instagram avocados. account called
1: Avo Daily. Yeah. So the Avo Monday thing came about because there was there's a date in January which is like the worst. Monday, oh, it's the yeah. Monday blues day and yeah. everybody's really depressed and yeah. it's awful. <laughs> so I thought, why don't we turn this around? Another card is make you happy. And it's like, instead of doing the one apple a day thing, let's do an ever Monday thing. And it's the start of the week. Yes, You're supposed to be, it's a good, it's, yeah. it's a time to start fresh. So I still do the ever Mondays. Yeah, And then if I can find good ones, I buy them, but it's sort of, yeah, it's not... Yeah. I I buy them
0: responsibly. Yeah. That makes any sense? It's hard, isn't it? Avocados are obviously great, but can we just take a moment to reflect on the really disappointing moment when you cut into a bad one? I know. Because it looks like it's going to be a good one. Yes, exactly. And then you get in there and it's not good. Devastating. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You are a qualified raw vegan chef. And I think to someone like my dad, that would mean that you perhaps cut carrots really beautifully. But what what does that actually mean? Like, what was the training for that?
1: So Matthew Kenny is like the guru of vegan raw cooking. And he came up with these, well, didn't come up with them, but he's got these principles um, of of raw food cooking, and they're fantastic. So he basically set up culinary school. He's got numerous restaurants all over. And I retrained and I did three of their courses. So I did nutrition, I did plant based basics, and I did one on superfoods. And I also did a few shorter stints in LA when I was there about three years ago. It's basically to sort of retrain.
0: Okay. And so it's, it's sort of the antithesis of. French cooking where you just add butter and cream to everything.
1: Yeah, it's, it's sort of, <laughs> Which is it's, how I it's the equivalent of that, but in raw food terms. Okay. So learning how to sort of swap your basics. And it's really interesting once you get into it. Yeah. So really it's like a
0: whole, a whole other It's, a whole, different, it's yeah. a whole
1: different ball game. Yeah. So there's lots of dehydrating involved and that type of cooking is very time consuming. So I guess what I do is I draw a little bit of all types of techniques. Yeah. So I've kind of retrained myself. It's because food is my obsession and passion.
0: Yeah. No, I think it's so sensible to have all of these different areas that you can then draw on, and you really see that in the book. Like the book isn't all raw. It's um, no, there it's so many. It's
1: different very things. much cooked. <laughs> yeah, very much and uh, very but delicious. But there's some there's some raw elements to it as well. But it it's from a little bit of everywhere. Yeah, yeah. It's it's also from travels. So there's yes. some recipes there. So my daughter's godmother is from south korea and kimchi's become a huge thing here yeah 9 years ago who would have thought i that's the first time i went to south korea and there's in south korea there's like 700 different types of kimchi not just one yeah it's crazy and um yeah and you have
0: got the korean pancake the korean pancakes Delicious. are there there's some i've also got not this isn't particularly international but i've got my eye on the um the almond butter and raspberry french toast
1: yes that's a good one and then there's uh sambal oh yeah learn how to make in bali and this this i've done lots of retreats in different parts of the world so there's definitely and i've lived
0: yeah kind of in no few, you can in a few places you definitely so. get that reading through the but everything looks delicious the fifth desert island dishes is, what is the dish that you eat the most often toast oh, really <laughs> <laughs> what do you have on it
1: i have everything on toast okay so, yeah, I make the most over-the-top toasts ever.
0: <laughs> what would be your go-to
1: toast? It, it depends. So it depends if it's sweet or savory, but I'll, I'll sort of put like, I'll put coconut yogurt on one and then I'll put some banana and then I'll drizzle it with peanut butter and I totally go like OTT. Yeah,
0: it's the only way to do it.
1: Yeah, so pesto, tomato, hummus.
0: For a moment we're gonna add the pesto to the almond butter. (laughs) Like, but you know
1: what? (laughs) Grilled vegetables. There's a there's a veggie sandwich in the book as
0: well. Yeah. It's the epic veggie sandwich, it looks really good. There's lots
1: of stuff in there. No, I love toasts, but I yeah, I eat that quite a lot. I guess you do that as a chef as well, because if you do lots of dishes and stuff and then you come home,
0: you sort of
1: turn to the simple foods. Definitely,
0: definitely. The affordability of food is something that I think about a lot and something I've been reading lots about. I think Ruby Tando is really great on the subject. And a lot of plant-based food that has garnered a lot of attention in recent years has been rather expensive and I guess to some extent a bit elitist. How important was it to make the food in your book affordable?
1: Um, Really important. I sort of wanted to bear in mind that anybody from anywhere could go into a supermarket and make at least three to five dishes from the book without any worries. Yeah. And I'm also sort of adamant that you don't have to do everything from scratch. So you don't have to cook your beans and pulses from scratch if you don't want to. You can buy good quality ones. There's a basic chapter there where you can make your own gluten-free flour mixes and stuff like that. You don't have to. So all of the recipes have been tested with various gluten-free flour mixes. If you can't be bothered to make your own, you can definitely sort of use a good one
0: as well. I I felt very comforted reading through it because, yeah, it was like, here's how you can make almond milk, but equally, if you want to buy it, that's okay as well. And especially
1: with yogurts and things that are very readily available in supermarkets as well and touch base again on sort of the forgotten vegetables. There's potatoes in the book.
0: (gasps) Shock, horror, (laughs) Bettina. And rice,
1: it's white rice. Why have potatoes got such bad um, press? I think carbs in general have got really bad... You know, they've got a really bad reputation, but we've. They're coming eaten, back. Yeah, we have
0: to eat carbs. It's yeah. <laughs> what makes our brains happy. <laughs> also, I think, you know, people think of carbs as just being the really obvious carbs, but they're, they're carbs and fruit. They're carbs, you know, carbs yeah. are like and a the vital same goes part. There's protein. Of, yeah. There's
1: protein in everything that we eat. So, yeah. yeah, I think less stress on what things contain and a little, little bit more focus on going back to basics and sort of cooking with vegetables again.
0: Yeah. Definitely. The sixth Desert Island dish, what is your go-to dinner party dish?
1: So I love a good curry. I know that's such a vegan veggie cliche. No, that's
0: a cliche for a reason.
1: (laughs) I love a good curry dish. It's really easy to make the day before. And usually it tastes a lot better the next day because sort of all of the ingredients have married together. But I do my curries with lots of side dishes. So I do like a really nice raita. I do a homemade chickpea bread, which is also in the book. That only takes 20 to 30 minutes to make, Yum. by the way.
0: With gram flour.
1: With gram flour and then chickpeas on the top with caramelized leeks and stuff. Very good. Yum. And yeah, so sort of a curry dish with all the side sides is yeah. good. So that you I like, I don't like just doing one dish. It's when you do something and you go to a dinner party. It's nice to have lots of picky
0: bits. Definitely, I also imagine when people come to yours for dinner, they might not necessarily eat a plant based diet. So it's sort of a chance to entice them and show them that you don't need meat to make. Yeah, meat totally. Meal. What would you make for pudding?
1: So. I get obsessed with things. The sticky toffee pudding, that's a really good one, actually. I don't know how you make a traditional one, but I think the one in the book is pretty good. Yeah. And it's got custard, Ooh. which is made Hello. out of coconut milk, which is actually surprisingly, <laughs>
0: yum, surprisingly good. So an eggless, dairy-free Eggless, dairy,
1: process. yeah. Yum. yeah. With a sticky toffee pudding with a salted caramel sauce that covered oh, already did. Okay, I think my stuff To Totally worth rumbled. making it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's a little sounds... bit tight. It's not that time consuming, actually. It's quite quick. I mean, a normal sticky toffee pudding is quite time consuming. Yeah, so... no, it's not that time okay, consuming. Okay, that sounds good. We're going to do a, a first for Desert Island Dishes right now, and we're going to do like a mini quick fire round. Oh,
1: okay. okay. Okay.
0: What is your most used kitchen gadget? My knife, kitchen knife must play music in the kitchen.
1: Oh, uh I've got different playlists. And actually it's really sad because I've had the same kitchen playlist for <laughs> the past four to five years. Oh,
0: <laughs> hasn't been recently <laughs> updated. So it needs to be updated. <laughs> so yeah. Your ultimate dinner party guests, fictional or real?
1: Oh, so I've re- I love watching Netflix. There's a Chef's Table. Oh yes. a uh, series on there.
0: Yeah. You just have all of them.
1: I really I yeah I, I love those chef series. Yeah. It's very interesting to see what makes people tick. Documentaries in general I'm very so fascinated interesting. with. Um there's a South Korean chef that was on there and she does temple food. Oh yes, yeah. I'd love to have her as a guest. Yeah. Uh, or learn some cooking from her. Yeah. I would love to cook for my grandmother. Oh. Unfortunately, both of them are not Oh, that would be really yeah, nice would, to get. That would have been yeah, part. that would have been nice. Both very, very good cooks in their own rights. Uh, my Bulgarian grandmother was an amazing cook and my Norwegian one as well. That sounds like an awesome dinner party. Yeah. What is your
0: secret ingredient? My secret ingredient? Oh. I guess it's avocados. That's Yeah, not so secret. avocados. <laughs> <laughs> your go-to meal for very last minute guests?
1: My go-to meal? Oh, pasta. Something pasta dish. That's like, it literally just takes 20 minutes. To your coffee? Oh, gosh. One coffee a day in the morning is like my happy place. Okay. Yeah. Tea before I go to bed.
0: Perfect. We're on to the final desert island dish. And that's the last dish you would choose to eat before being cast off to the desert island.
1: Okay. So the first thing that sprung to mind is like a noodle soup, which I, I love sort of, I love the Asian way of eating breakfast. So like a really hearty, brothy, noodle soup. I'm quite obsessed with broths at Yum. the moment, or like a rice soup, which sounds really weird, but you sort of boil some really nice, good quality rice, and then you dunk it in really nice broth with sort of steamed greens. Yum. That yeah, sounds really good. Re- I get obsessed with certain things, but maybe, yeah, probably that.
0: Okay. As a starter, or are you just going to have a big batch of that? I'll just have a big batch of okay. that. Okay. Would you have a pudding?
1: I've not got a very big sweet tooth, actually. No, I'm
0: Okay, we'll just have a huge thing of broth.
1: Yeah, I'm more obsessed
0: with sort of savoury at the moment. Okay, and you're allowed to take with you a luxury ice cream? Oh, I
1: did actually have the most amazing ice cream yesterday. Oh, right. What flavour was it? Uh, It was, I'm quite obsessed with salted caramel. Chef Chantel's salted caramel ice cream
0: was... Okay, so you can have that for pudding. Oh my
1: God, that was amazing. (laughs) I'll definitely go back there on my own.
0: Nothing wrong wrong with that. What are you going to take as your luxury item?
1: Oh, okay. So if I was being really mindful, I would say a notebook and a pen. And if I was being
0: really shallow, I would say my phone. (laughs) (laughs) Those are two excellent answers. And the final question, if you could only have one cookbook for the rest of your life, which would it be?
1: I'm not sure which book I would take with me, but I can say that when I started cooking plant-based foods, the first cookbooks that I learned from was the Swedish chef called Renee Voltaire. Okay. And she's sort of, she's an institution in Sweden in terms of, she's got like a food brand and stuff, but those were the books that I got started with and started cooking from and learned how to cook plant-based.
0: Mm, okay. I'm going to have to look that up. Thank you so much for letting us hear your desert island Thank dishes. Thank you for having <laughs> me. Don't forget to come and find me on Instagram. I'm at Made by Margie, where I share recipes, more Desert Island Dishes inspired food. And I can often be found waffling on Instagram stories. And I'd love to see you there. For a full list of episodes, you can head to www.desertislanddishes.co. And I will see you next week. Thanks so much for listening. Bye.